All right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Um, hope everybody is doing well. Uh, it is good to uh, be here together as we come to the end of our summer months. Um, I hope everybody got to travel as you wanted to. Um, I hope that you got to at least relax as you wanted to. And uh, if not, you have about three weeks um, and then everything gets started for the fall again. So anybody going out of town like in the next few weeks, getting up out of here. Okay, fine. That's fine. All right. Anybody visiting today? Okay. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> okay. So it is good to see everybody. Uh, for those of you I don't know yet, my name is Rollin. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, what we've been doing over the course of um, the summer is we've been going through a series um, on missions. And the reason we've been doing that is because over the summer months, uh, not only do a lot of people have the bandwidth and the opportunity uh, to go on missions trips, whether through work or they have downtime with school and otherwise, but we believe in missions year-round, right? Um, it's on the heart of God. It's uh, what God does. Uh, he says that as he reaches his people, that they are going to be witnesses for him. That uh, started first in Jerusalem and then in Judea uh, to Samaria and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so uh, even as Billy was talking about, we as a, a church family not only believe in serving our community here in Chicago, which is, Lord knows, a mission field in and of itself. How many people could say amen to that? Okay, Chicago is a mission field. If you're living in Chicago, you're standing for the Lord, you're serving the Lord, this is a mission field. Okay, and um, literally, we talk to um, some of our brothers and sisters from around the world who are sending missionaries to the U.S., to reach the people in the U.S. You know, traditionally over the years, uh, the U.S. has been known as a sending nation, right? Sending the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Um, but because of the tide turning, um, we see the need here, and literally nations from around the world are sending missionaries to the U.S. to actually see the gospel proliferate. And so we thank God for that, but we want to always be cognizant of that as we live here on a daily basis. But then we also participate in that which is going on internationally um, with the gospel. And so, again, thank you for your participation with that. So today what we're going to do is, if you're uh, joining us for the first time, we're going to pick up <clears throat> in where we, what we've been doing. It's uh, been the Macedonian call following that missions theme uh, throughout the summer. And what we started in was the book of Acts, where uh, the Apostle Paul and his traveling companions were going throughout the Roman Empire, establishing churches in areas where the gospel had previously not been proclaimed or not known. Uh, one of the places that they ended up was a place called Macedonia. It was a region um, that uh, many of you are familiar with, though you don't know it. Uh, if you've read the Bible before, if you've read the New Testament, um, you've come across different letters um, or epistles that were written by the Apostle Paul uh, to different churches in different regions. And uh, part of those, some of those letters were a letter to the Philippians, um, a letter to the Thessalonians, right? Um, a letter um, um, <clears throat> to different churches, encouraging them to grow in the grace of God. And these particular churches were in regions, um, there were cities in this region of Macedonia. And so what we're doing is we're going through the book of 1 Thessalonians right now, which was one of Paul's letters to one of these churches, and finding out as we're fulfilling this missionary call, as we're fulfilling this call to minister the gospel to all the nations in this city, what are we to live like? How now shall we live as the people of God? And last week, what we did is we talked about literally when God brings us into his kingdom and grace, he brings us not only to himself as our heavenly father, but then he 
also, through Jesus Christ, inserts us into a family. And there are family dynamics through which we're to engage God, we're to engage one another, and we're to grow in the grace of God as we serve him in the place in which we find ourselves. So today we're going to um, pick up that theme, continuing Paul's letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, but instead of talking specifically about the family unit in which he calls us to be a part, uh, we're going to talk about the dynamics the dynamics of that family unit um, in the midst of the trials that we will inevitably face. Uh, whenever Paul was writing to the Thessalonian church, he was writing to them in the midst of great trial. Uh, that just as the Jews who had received the gospel had received persecution in their native region of Judea, um, as the gospel was going to the Gentiles um, amongst the Thessalonians, they were standing in the gospel, but they also began to receive persecution from their own countrymen, from the Gentiles who did not yet believe in Jesus. And so if you've never um, faced persecution for standing in your faith, you don't have to worry, it's coming. And the thing is, is that as we stand in God, as we stand in God, he tells us as a family unit how to live honorably in love and unto him. Okay, so turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and we'll pray. Father, we thank you so much for your good word to us today. God, we thank you that you've given it to us to see the Lord Jesus Christ clearly, that we can see you clearly, that we can interact with you in our present day, in our present time, um, clearly and uh, without uh, really question or um, without fault, because you've given us a roadmap of how to not only interact with you, but how to stand in you. So God, as a family unit, God, we're asking you that through your word today, you would encourage us, you would make our faith like steel, and you would help us to um, walk with you in an honorable manner, pleasing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you, have, if you don't have a Bible today, the scripture will be there for you on the screen, starting in verse 1. It says, therefore... When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And Paul's talking about himself and his traveling companions, which included Timothy and Silas, who you often uh, see mentioned in the beginning of the letters. And we sent Timothy, who we spoke about last week, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you 
And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So what we see here is a very clear and present, uh, uh, present exhortation. That it's not if, but when trials come, that we've got to be ready to stand. It's not if, but when trouble comes in life, that we've got to be willing to stand fast in the Lord. It's one of the promises that Jesus made that is not so welcomed, but not so popular, but it is the truth, right? Jesus said that in this fallen world, you will have trouble. That's just how it is. We're in a fallen world full of sin, and because of the effects of sin, everyone, whether you're serving the Lord or not, will eventually experience some sort of affliction, some sort of trouble. In the Thessalonians' case, it was the persecution that they were facing amongst their countrymen. But besides that, there's all types of trouble that we can um, face in our everyday experience. It can be relational troubles. It can be familial troubles. It can be financial troubles. It can be workplace troubles. And everybody said amen to that, right? Anybody ever had some workplace troubles before and you were like, God, how do I find you in the midst of this? The God Almighty is saying, listen, I'm the God of all ages. I'm the God who's present in the midst and ever-present help in the midst of trouble. But know that trouble does come. And what happens in the midst of trouble is that, as Paul's saying, it is a testing ground. It is a testing ground for the people of God as to what you will do whenever you're tested by trials and whatever, whenever you're tested by affliction. What will you do in the midst of that to either grow deeper in your relationship with God to press into him or by those trials to be driven away from him, to be driven away from his people, to be driven away from the anchors that God gives you as you make your approach toward the eternal life that Jesus Christ purchased for you on the cross by his death, burial, and resurrection. The first thing that we see is that we've got to, according to Paul's exhortation, we've got to know your enemy is coming before the fight even begins. The tempter, according to Paul, is saying, <clears throat> according to Paul, is coming in the midst of trials to discourage the people of God and lure them back into old and destructive ways as coping mechanisms for in the midst of the trials that they have. Whenever, <clears throat> excuse me. Whenever Jesus has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light, it's a glorious day, right? Does anybody remember actually that time when you came to Jesus? It might have been when you were young. It might have been more so like myself when you were older. And it was a glorious day, right? It was almost like you had your brave heart moment and then you were sort of like Mel Gibson crying out, freedom! And then all of a sudden you start to live in a different way. Anybody remember that time? Okay, you might have been a kid. That's okay. You could cry out in your squeaky voice, freedom, right? And the thing is, you went in God and you were free because the Bible says whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Good news of the gospel, right? Free from sin, free from the fear of death, free from the fear of punishment that comes along with our um, rebelling against God because of our sin. But what happens is, is that when the tempter comes through trial, when we get discouraged through the trials or the afflictions that we're experiencing in life, though God set us free from these things that ultimately lead to death, the tempter comes to try to lure us back into the things that we used to use as coping mechanisms. 
How many people have ever experienced that before, okay? If you came out of um, any type of alcoholism, right? What happens is, is that alcoholism is a very real thing. It's like when it's, it's something that God can free people from. It's, alcoholism is something that people repent of and de- are delivered from. But whenever people are experiencing trials or um, are experiencing affliction in life, what they can do is either run to God in the midst of those afflictions or they can gravitate back to the thing that they used to go to to comfort them, right? and then end up in a cycle of slavery all over again. For some people, it's illicit relationships or not just physical relationships, but the things that you look upon upon the, in the media or the things that you go to as coping mechanisms just to placate or as an escape hatch to forget about the problems that you have to face on an everyday basis. They become coping mechanisms in the midst of affliction. And this is what Paul is saying. As you are afflicted, the tempter is coming. Just as the affliction is there, the tempter is right there to try to bring you back into the things that once held you bound. But God is there, ever-present, in times of trouble to help you. And he's there to help you and say, you don't have to go that way. You don't have to go back into the things that once held you bound because of the affliction. But you, in the midst of affliction, can remain free in Jesus Christ. You can remain free in Jesus Christ, be strengthened in the midst of trial, and not just be strengthened for the moment, but end up stronger than you were before the trial because God himself is using the trial to make you stronger in him. He's always, his purpose is to take us from faith to faith, from strength to strength, and from glory to glory, even in the midst of the trials that we encounter. And God's giving us the example of how to do this here. But to give you a picture of how to do it, uh, We're going to use sort of just a little picture, a visual, so you understand what he's giving us in the family context when we face these afflictions and trials. And the image that we have is ultimately this. You understand this. What do I do in the midst of affliction? I need to stop, I need to drop, and I need to roll. Whenever the fires of affliction come for us, trying to burn down our faith or trying to burn down our life, I need to stop I need to drop and I need to roll. Stop, drop, and roll so that God Almighty can hold me fast in Jesus and make me stronger in the midst of it. Let's look first of all at the stop. When we face affliction, usually the natural proclivity of life is that we not only can gravitate towards the things that once held us bound, but we can run from the very God who wants to help us. We can run from him because we misunderstand why we're in the afflictions in the first place, right? Even especially if you've been trying to serve God in any measure and then you're confronted with an affliction that you just don't understand what its source is or why you're having to experience it. And your desire is not just to go into the things that once held you bound, but to run from the very people who want to encourage you. Run from the people who want to help you. How many people have ever experienced that before? When you're going through trouble, you isolate yourself. How many people have ever done that before, right? It's sort of like you begin to experience problems, you begin to experience issues, and instead of going to the source of encouragement, God's word, his spirit, and his people, you run to a place where it's almost like you can hear the devil more loudly than anybody else, right? alone in your room, playing that sad, sobby, godless music. You know what I'm talking about. There's music that just does not help us. You, you know what I mean? I mean, I like plenty of music with a beat, and that's, that's what I like gravitate towards. I need a beat. 
But a lot of times with a beat comes a lot of content that doesn't help me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The beat may get my feet to tap in, but then my soul is going down or my soul is getting enraged at somebody. And I'm all of a sudden like, don't call to come back. I've been here for you. Right. And so all of a sudden I'm getting mad just listening to things you know what I mean? that otherwise I'm going to escape in. And the first thing that we need to do if we face affliction is stop running. Stop running from God. Stop running from his people. Stop going into isolation. This is what Paul's exhorting the church to do. Stop running from God and other believers when you face afflictions. Paul was concerned that his labor in the Lord for the Thessalonians would be in vain if they threw off their God-given anchors in times of trial. That's what he said. He said, I sent Timothy to check on you, basically, because I got pushed out of the city after three weeks because of the persecution that was coming there. Then immediately after I'm gone, the enemy comes in, tries to persecute you. I'm not there to encourage you. And so I'm concerned that in the midst of trial, you might go back to the old things that, you used, that used to comfort you, that used to define you. And he's saying, I don't want my work in God for you to be in vain. What does that mean? That means that we can backslide, people. Hello. That means that the work that was started in you, you could give up the ghost. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit, okay? But I am talking about you can give up the ground that has been taken and go backwards in the progress that you've made in the Lord if you run from the anchor of God, his word, and his people that he's given you. What you need to do, though, is identify in your locale whether you live in Chicago or not, you need to identify in your locale, your church family with whom you will share life in Christ and stay in the pocket in the midst of trial. What I, that's a football term for those of you who are looking at me with blank faces. Stay in the pocket. What that means is that you are going to be blitzed eventually. Anybody watch football? Come on now. It's a, we live in a football town. Bears, come on, baby. It's sort of like you live in a football town, and whenever you are being blitzed, what the quarterback has to do is they can't just start running for their lives, running away from all the people who are trying to defend him. He's got to stay in the pocket around the defense so that he could get the pass off. In the same way, if you run away from the defense that God's given you in his word and his people and in the community, then you're running away from the very thing that God's meant to protect you, to encourage you, to build you up in the faith. Affliction will come, but the first thing you need to do is stop running. Stop running and stop leaving the thing that's going to actually keep you in him. When Jesus spoke about the parable of the sower, he spoke about it this way. He said there are different types of soil whenever he's coming in life and sowing the word, right? He first said that there's soul that's sown <coughs> among ground that's shallow and immediately the devil comes and steals the word that was sown in people's lives. Why? Because there's no understanding. You don't need to be in a church setting and not look for understanding. You don't need to just have someone speaking to you and you just nod your head and then you go home like without asking any questions that you have. Come and talk to us if you have gospel-oriented questions, please. But the second type of soil was this one in Mark chapter 4, 16 and 17. Jesus said this about the soil of people's hearts. He said, and these are the ones, meaning another group of people, sown on rocky ground. He comes to sow the word in you, but he says the soil of your heart can be rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. 
Anybody glad when you hear the word of God spoken to you? Does it give you encouragement? Does it give you life? Does it give you hope? Well, it should, right? But it can be on rocky ground if they have no root. If they have no root in themselves, they endure for a little while, then when, not if, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. What's he talking about? A root system. A root system is what you do when nobody else is around, when nobody else is looking, right? We see the leaves, we see the branches, we see the fruit on the trees, but it all comes from the root system. The root system is going deep. Are you building a life in the Word of God outside of church? Are you reading your Bible daily outside of church? Are you feeding your soul? Are you in fellowship with people outside of church? Are you actually building your life up in the faith with other believers so that you can encourage one another daily? That's what the scripture says, right? Daily so that no one might be led astray by sin's deceitfulness. Are you actually worshiping God outside of having a band in front of you? Right? Are you worshiping God? Have you downloaded some holy music on your playlist? And actually things that speak to God and his goodness, his righteousness, his glory. Are you actually worshiping God in the secret place? Or are you running because you have no root system? He's saying as a great and strong exhortation that all of us can build a root system starting today. But it's not just going in terms of going to God alone, but it's going to God in his body, his people. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says this. Listen, the church should be the greatest group of friends that you have in this earth. The greatest group of friends that you have in this earth. God cares about friendship. My great ambition, and I hope it's all all of our ambition, is I want to be known by God, not by other people, but by God himself as a friend of God. Anybody have that ambition? You want to be known as a friend of God? Okay, well, that can be something that we also aspire to and work on, please. But we also have friends, friends within the house of God, right? And what are friends? Friends are not flighty. Friends are not gone in the face of affliction or persecution. Friends are not fair weather. But instead, Proverbs says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother or sister in Christ is born for adversity. They're born for adversity. You know that somebody's actually with you, not during the good times, but during the hard times. Is that not right? It's not just the people who can clap and dance and celebrate and party with you when everything's going well. It's when things are challenging. Where are they? Well, I'm telling you, I know plenty of people in this house, and there are brothers and sisters who are born for adversity, born for adversity, who will stand with you, encourage you, build you up in the faith that you might give yourself wholly to the things of God, no matter the season in which you find yourself. He said the first thing we need to do is stop running. Nobody go into isolation. If you're going through a trial, let somebody know. Let somebody know. Yes, we believe in prophetic words. Yes, we believe in words of knowledge. But nobody's in and of themselves a mind reader here. Hello, can everybody say amen to that? Nobody's a mind reader. Nobody knows what you're going through unless you tell someone. Reach out and touch somebody's hand. Make this world a better place if you can. Right? Listen, you need to reach out and let people know how they can stand with you. Stop running. 
and run to, um, instead to God. Number two, you need to drop. Drop. Drop to your knees, number one. <laughs> drop to your knees. In the midst of affliction, stop trying to do it on your own. And here's, here, here's the thing that we have to reiterate time and time again. Thinking about things and thinking about the things of God in the same um, instant that you're thinking about your trial or your affliction or your problems is not the same as praying about them. Okay? Everybody understand that? Just thinking about them and even talking about them with God on your mind. <laughs> you understand? That does not equate to praying about things. But if we can actually drop to our knees, open our mouths, right? Has anybody ever been in a conversation with a spouse or a loved one before? And you were like, listen, they're like, listen, I need you to tell me what you're doing today. I said, I thought I already told you. And you were thinking it, but nothing actually came off of your mouth? Has that ever happened to anybody before? Okay, well, it happens all the time with me. All right, so listen, I'm, think, I'm thinking good thoughts towards you right now. You may not hear them, but here they are. But here, I'm opening my mouth, right? Same with God in prayer. You need to open your mouth and drop to your knees and cry out to him in the midst of trial if you're going to experience deliverance in the midst of the affliction. You need to also, though, drop facades, protective walls, and defenses. We all have them. Facades, protective walls, and defenses. If we're going to actually walk with the people God's given us and encourage us in the things of God. We need to establish your go-to people with whom you willingly choose to be vulnerable and divulge the realities of your life as you're going through trials. You don't need to talk to everybody, but you do need to have some go-tos within the house of God, right? You don't need to talk to everybody, but you do need to have some trusted people. And don't, nobody can look upon the crowd and say, well, I would like that, but I can't trust anybody who's around me. That's a lack of confidence in God's provision. God in his sovereignty and in his provision gives you people who surround you, who are going to be trustworthy, to whom you can divulge your life, your afflictions, and the circumstances in which you find yourself. It's God's provision, not your own. You need to drop the facades and be vulnerable. You need to give them permission, as Timothy did when the, he went to check in on the church in Thessalonica, right? Paul sent to check on them, but they gave him permission to know what was going on. So when he asked, Timothy showed up in Thessalonica, guys, I know you've been going through these trials. How are things going? How is your faith? How's your heart? How's your emotional state? Are you depressed? Are you dealing with things? Are you going back into old things which, by which you need help for somebody to pull you out? You need to give them permission to ask about you and to check in on you as Timothy did with the church in Thessalonica to find out if you are well. And this is what we need to remember that we can lower defenses, we can lower walls, and we can be vulnerable with one another because the cross of Jesus Christ is the leveler of the playing field so that no man or woman can feel inferior or superior to another human being. No one can feel inferior or superior to another human being. The cross is the great leveler. And the reason why is that we are all saved by what? Grace through faith, forgiven of damnable sins and can encourage one another in the mercy of God that's available to us all. 
God is no respecter of persons. We all had to come to God the Father through the cross, that one cross of Jesus Christ. And because of that, that's a great leveler of the playing field. I have nothing to boast in. You have nothing to boast in. No one has anything to boast in except the cross of Jesus. And because of that, we all have the ability to encourage one another with the grace that comes from that cross. This is what Proverbs 17, 18 says. He says, whoever loves transgression loves strife. And he who makes his door high seeks destruction. Whoever makes his door high seeks destruction. What does a door do? Not only lets you in, but Lord knows, in Chicago it keeps people out. Right? Isn't that what your door is for? So that somebody's not just walking in off the street, talking about, hey, what's for dinner? You know, listen, doors keep people out. And he's saying whoever invites, well, I'm sorry, lifts up a high door in your life, keeping up boundaries, keeping people at arm's length, keeping people out of the intimate details of your life, they invite destruction. Because when trials come, standing on your own, Right? instead of having people on your right and your left to flank you and actually support you in the midst of those afflictions and the midst of those trials. He said, stop running and drop. Drop to your knees. Drop the facades. Proverbs 18, verses 1 and 2. He goes on and says it this way. He says, whoever isolates himself, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. You might think, well, this is, nobody understands. Well, no, that's not true. Number one, God understands, and we have things that are tempting to us that are common to all mankind. Isn't that what the Bible says? Trials that are common to all mankind. There's somebody who understands. He says, but one who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Nobody could tell him anything, right? You don't understand. No, you don't get it, right? Always disqualifying other people's counsel and other people's advice, even though it's founded and grounded in the Word of God. And he says, a fool, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. But God says, drop that. I've given you my Word. I've given you the Spirit. I've given you my people as a protective mechanism in the midst of trial to keep you growing in the grace of God. C.S. Lewis uh, used this quote before from the four, four loves, but I think it's appropriate to use it again here. He actually said this in the four loves, C.S. Lewis's book. He wrote, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To walk in love relationships is to be 
vulnerable. And to do that, we must roll. Roll. Stop, drop, and then roll. <laughs> and the roll we're talking about to put out the fire, right? Putting out the fire that's trying to burn down your life, the affliction that's trying to consume your life. You roll with the people in your immediate vicinity who can see the whole picture and give godly counsel, which can be followed up with. Okay? Now, this is an important point that I almost need to express annually because annually we have people coming in and out of town, right? Moving into town and everybody's moving away from friends. And movement is part, of the, um, is part of the design of God too, right? He moves people from here to there or everywhere, right? But when you move, you got to establish a new life. I, I like um, what uh, Timothy Keller said. He's um, a pastor in uh, New York City in Manhattan. And uh, much like Chicago, uh, Manhattan's a transient city, right? So people are coming and going all the time. And one of the things that he tells his church is he says, Listen, you need to reestablish, reestablish your friendship group within the church at least every two to three years because of the transient nature of it. You need to put forth effort to reestablishing your friendship group because if you don't, after those two or three years, you'll find yourself alone. It's just part of the nature of the city. Everybody realizes that, right? And that's part of the beauty of God. He's always continuing to put across our path people who will be increasing gifts to us. Gifts to us in the relationships that he gives us. But we've got to be aware of the city dynamics and we've got to actually build those relationships accordingly and relate to people within your immediate vicinity. The reason why is because the people within your immediate vicinity can look you in the eye. They can look you in the eye. You may be able to lie to people on Facebook. You may be able to lie to people on Instagram. You know what I'm talking about, right? You have your poses. Anybody have their like, like Instagram face? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, you know, it's like as soon as like somebody's like phone comes up, it's like you change. It doesn't matter how you were doing earlier that day, but as soon as the phone comes up, you're like, right? It's like you got your pose and you can lie to people over social media, but you can't lie to people when they're face to face with you, right? Because somebody can look you in the eyes. And even though they say, hey, listen, I'm, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm great. They can see it, right? They can follow up. And if you've not been around, they can ask why. If you go MIA, they can say what's been going on, right? Nobody on the other side of the country knows that, but people who live immediately around you do. And what God's saying is roll with the people that he's given you in your immediate vicinity, the brothers and sisters are his provision for you now. You remember eating in your mother and father's house, but many of you do not live with them anymore. And so that does not mean that you're starving now. It means that God's provided for you in the new place in which you live. It's the same, play, it's the same way, rather, spiritually. You need to identify also, as you roll with certain people, the things in life that are trying to burn down your faith your confidence in God, your health, your marriage or family. They may be emotional, financial, or circumstantial troubles. You need to, with the people of God, apply the water of the word of God to these things and contend for the salvation of Jesus Christ. 
And that salvation means his rescue, his deliverance. It's not just the eternal life that he provides, but it's his salvation and rescue in today's times, right? Like the blind man crying out to him on the side of the road, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And that mercy meant open my eyes. I want to see. Christ's resurrection from the dead gives us access to eternal life that begins with our reconciliation with God. The life abundant that Jesus promises is developed through life shared with those who are also longing for their heavenly home in Christ. But he says, roll with the people that I've given you as you're passing through. He said, as you're passing through the valley of Baca, right, which means a place of weeping. He said, I'll make it a place of springs. I'll make it a place of springs as you learn to roll with the people I've given you. Proverbs 27, 9 and 10 says it this way. He said, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. From his earnest counsel. Nobody needs just a bunch of yes men or yes women surrounding them. They need somebody who's going to be giving them earnest counsel in Christ in the midst of life's afflictions and trials. But then he goes on to say, who should I look to for that? He says, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Once again, the affliction, the trial. He said, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Better is a, brother who, a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Why? Because they live right where you are. They can look in those eyes and they can speak the truth to you. And you know what? The next week, if it hasn't sunk in yet, they can speak that same truth to me again. And they can speak it again and again and again until God, by the Holy Spirit, breaks open my heart and delivers me from the very thing that I was afflicted by, right? Does this make sense, everyone? These are God's ways in the midst of, his afflic- in the, midst of the afflictions that not w- if they come, but when they come. And we'll end with this final C.S. Lewis quote. He actually said this. He said, I have no duty. I have really no duty to be anyone's friend. This is from the four loves again. That's fine. You could say that, right? I'm not, I, don't, I, don't, I don't owe anybody anything. Okay, if you want to live that way, you're going you're to reap the results of that. He says, I have no duty to be anyone's friend, and no man in the world has a duty to be mine. No claims, no shadow of necessity. Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself, for God did not need to create. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival, which give value to survival. And God's saying, hey, listen, don't stay in a place of isolation any longer. It's not if, but when you face affliction that you need to know how to relate to God. It's not if, but when you face affliction that you need to know how to relate to his people so that the work that was started in you might not be in vain that it might not be cut off, short-circuited, or anything else. But instead, you might grow stronger through the trial because you learn to drop to your knees 
You learn to drop facades, relate to people who are around you, who God's given you as a gift. And finally, roll with them. Roll with them, right? All these Transformers movies, right? Autobots, roll out. Say, let's go. (laughs) You roll with them into the things that God has intended for you and for his people as a collective. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen? All right. Let's go back and worship God. And then we're going to celebrate communion. The sacrament by which God made a way for us to be reconciled to him and then ultimately to one another so that might might grow in all the grace of God unto his purposes. You can stand.